Well, if you missed last week, we jumped into a brand new series called Love That Lasts. And we're hoping and praying that the love of Jesus is going to invade our love story in any and every season that's represented in this room. And I feel increasingly more and more inadequate to be the one who's up here preaching about this subject, especially when we talk about marriage. And it's like, guys, listen to my marriage advice. I haven't been married a decade, and I have two little kids, and I'm tired all the time. And let me tell you what God says about marriage. Like, this has been a challenge for me because i got a long, long way to go. But what I love about this series is that we are not going for more dating and marriage advice. We are going for more surrender to the love of Jesus and more letting him access this area of our lives that so many of us are secretly keeping to ourselves. And so I don't have all the wisdom in the world on this subject. I don't have something so specific to say for every single situation. But what I do have is I do have a heart that is surrendered to God's will in this area of my life. And that was not always the case. I shared last week that I surrendered to Jesus at 12 years old, but I spent about a decade of my life taking the pen and writing my own version of this story in this area, and the consequences were so painful. And it was only when I gave permission to Jesus to have this area of my life as well, I saw so much blessing on the other side of that. So I can preach this from kind of both angles of I've seen the blessing that comes from letting Jesus be the one to write this story, but I've also seen some of the destructive consequences that come on the other side of getting outside of God's will and outside of God's timing. And so we're talking about love that lasts, and I kind of wanted to have a lighthearted moment at the beginning of this where I just simply ask, how did Valentine's Day go, guys? Was it good? Everybody good? Everybody's still, okay, still married, still functioning, things are going well. I'm not a big Valentine's guy. I'm not, I don't need a, a holiday to need to love on my wife. Like, the morning is good enough for me to wake up and go, I need to love her well today. But uh, if, if you're one of those who's just like, man, passionate about Valentine's Day, that's great. But if you're here and you're single and you hated everything about Friday, February the 14th, here's my recommendation to you. Just like that needs to be a day of fasting from social media for you, probably, because it just like go away. Oh, I'm back. I missed all that. And now we're good on February 15th because they won't do it again until next year. Um, last week, last week, we talked about decisions don't lie. What I've seen too many Christians do is claim that they want God's will for their love story and make all of their daily decisions in the opposite direction. You can claim with your mouth that you want Jesus to do something, but if all of your actions deny that reality, don't be surprised if the result doesn't look like what you intended. The route that God is taking us down looks like wisdom, and it looks like making decisions in a way that set your marriage up, that set your singleness up, that set your dating relationship up, and that set your engagement up to encounter God. So this is for every single season represented, but I also believe on top of everything I said last week, there's a deeper level of surrendering and trusting Jesus to write your story. I would say even deeper than making decisions, and it's being willing to make the decision to wait when God calls you to wait. And it's a decision that every season and life background in this room will have to make. That's why part two of Love That Lasts is called Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Look at the person next to you say, wait for it. Wait for it. 
Wait for the Lord. Now, this is not going to be your typical Christian dating message about waiting on God. This is not going to be me up here like, listen, if you'll just wait on God, if you'll just wait on his timing, he's got something better. If you'll just get in the waiting room long enough, he's going to call your name eventually. He's going to show you who the one is. This isn't the message if you're married where I'm going to say, hey, if you'll just wait on God long enough, he's going to come through and make your husband and make your wife into who you want them to be. No, that's not the message of today because I believe it is way too common in Christian circles to talk about waiting and equate that with being passive. And so we start to see God's invitation to wait as an excuse to sit out, but I believe it's actually the opposite. Being invited by God to wait is actually an invitation into active faith. And one of the best ways you can demonstrate belief in God is to trust him when you don't see any evidence of his hand at work, but you just have to sit back and wait for the Lord. So I didn't want you at the beginning of this message to go, oh, it's the waiting message. Wait, trust God. We don't like waiting. We're really impatient people, but God's best will be on the other side. No, this is a message about perspective. I believe you are as patient as your perspective allows you to see the thing that you are waiting for as worthwhile. So I'm probably the most impatient person in the room. If you were around me for a while, you'd probably be a little bit bothered by how impatient I am. I'm the type of guy in traffic who's always trying to find the right lane. You know what I'm talking about? I think that's part of the reason why God called me out of Atlanta. Because every time I go back there, I'm reminded that I could never, ever, ever live here again. This amount of traffic and this amount of construction and this amount of stopping. I love Auburn, Alabama. The great thing about Auburn, you get stuck in traffic sometimes, but you can like plan around it. And the great thing is if you live here, you know your way around all the places that people think they absolutely have to go that you're like there's literally a street that runs parallel to every street in this city if you make one turn and go down this road no one's there and so I'm super impatient I, I will walk into a restaurant and if there's a wait five minutes longer than what I was anticipating the wait being I'll leave and take more time finding another place than actually standing in that line super Super impatient. I'm, I'm not one who likes waiting. And so I would think to myself, okay, I'm just not good at waiting. But actually, I'm great at waiting as long as I believe the thing that I'm waiting for is worth the wait. You catch me in the waiting area of some of my absolute favorite restaurants. I don't care that I got to sit there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't care. It's worth the wait to me. If you told me, hey, there's going to be this amazing blessing coming to your life, or even some of the things Brent said on the other side of family dynamics. I am more than willing to wait when I know that what's on the other side is worth it. Now, don't miss this. This message is called wait for the Lord, not wait on the Lord. Those are two different things. See, when you say wait on the Lord, it makes it sound like he's late and you're waiting. God's never late. His timing's perfect. So we don't wait on God. We wait for him, for his glory. And when I say wait for the Lord, I'm saying you need to say yes to God's invitation to wait in every season of your love story because on the other side of this is coming more blessings than you can imagine. And that's not like prosperity vending machine preaching. That's like biblical relationship with God. Watch what he does for those who wait over and over again.
I believe everything the Bible teaches is beneficial. I believe everything it teaches is true. I believe every single little sentence and every single little word needs to be taken into account when we think about our personal obedience to God. It's all important. However, I will say God has a tendency of putting a few themes throughout this book from cover to cover. And when you notice one of those themes, you need to have your eyes wide open to how it affects your life. Like there's some things that there's one verse about. There's some things that some people teach on it here. This story implies this. I'm not saying those are not important, super important. But when there's something that God says again and again and again and again and again, you need to see it and you need to pay attention to it. And there's this thing that if you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the stories point to this, the poems point to this, the songs point to this, the prophets point to this, the explicit teachings point to this. Everything in the Bible talks about these two realities. You ready for it? There are extraordinary blessings on the other side of waiting for the Lord. And equally true, there are extreme consequences for those who choose not to wait for the Lord. That's not a teaching. That is literally story after story after story, teaching after teaching after teaching. God blesses those who wait well and who wait for him. And equally true, God is willing to allow us to reap what we sow. If you get outside of God's timing and you decide to do this your way, it's not a small level of consequences that you have to endure and walk through. It is a major, major, major issue when you and I get off of God's timetable. So why am I talking about this in a series about dating and marriage? I believe every part of your love story, waiting is going to mark it in every season for the rest of your life. So all the single people in here are like, oh, finally, the message for me, wait for the Lord. I get it. Wait. He's going to show me who the one is. Not necessarily. God's going to show you who he is. And over time, whether or not you surrender in devotion to him during that process will determine how healthy you are on the back end or how needy and insecure you are and how much you've actually destroyed your marriage before it even started. So wait for the Lord. That's the message. But the invitation is to wait. You start dating somebody and then the waiting truly begins because then it's like, okay, are they the one? Is this the one? Well, then what about this relationship and all these different factors? And I'm waiting to hear from God. And then if you do end up saying yes and you do end up getting engaged, we had a couple in our church get engaged last night and so many couples getting engaged at ACC. I see why because Bible drill. But um, if you get engaged, I think we think, oh, yeah, the wait's over. You're engaged. Talk to an engaged person about that. You get engaged and the wait is on. And it is like every single second leading up to this day. I was talking to an engaged couple a couple weeks ago and I saw their countdown on their phone. Every time they turn on their phone, their countdown is there. But there was two different countdowns. And I was like, why are the hours different on this? Like her countdown is to the beginning of the wedding. Mine's to six hours later. And I was like, good man. Bold as a lion. I like it. <laughs> if you're engaged, wait for the Lord. But then you get married, and everyone not married in the room is like, the waiting ends when you get married. You get your, your happily ever after, right? No, then begins the wait of allowing the other person to become more like Jesus on God's timetable and the bigger weight of seeing in and of yourself all the selfishness that wasn't addressed until you tried to unite your life with another human being. 
Wait for the Lord is something you're not getting away from in any season of this journey. But I want to point out the promises of God, and I want you to know from the beginning, this is the difference between God writing his story and you writing your own. And this is literally the difference between God unleashing blessing after blessing after blessing on your love story in your marriage or you inheriting consequence after consequence after consequence. This is not a small deal. When you read the Bible, read about people who wait on God. God makes it worth the wait. And read about people who get outside of God's timing. God removes blessing. I think about uh, King Saul. When, when he was made king and he was in this battle where he was pressured by all these armies around him and he was waiting on Samuel to come. Do you know what I'm talking about? When Samuel was coming to make the sacrifice before God and Saul went ahead and made the sacrifice because Samuel was late in his mind and as soon as Samuel got there, Samuel said, why did you do that? I was supposed to do that. You got outside of the Lord's timing and because of that, God's going to reject you as king and he's going to give this land to a man after his own heart, and that man became David. What do you read about David's story? What was it about David's heart that was so different than Saul's? I believe part of it was a willingness to wait for the Lord. When David was running for his life, Saul was paranoid about David. Saul's trying to chase him down. David's running for his life. He's hiding in a cave. Saul wanders into that cave to use the bathroom, and David has a knife in his hand. The most vulnerable, you should read the Bible more, the most vulnerable position a man can be in. And David's right there and all of David's men are going, God's given you Israel. Take him out. Take him out. David says, no. How dare I do that to the Lord's anointed? The difference was a willingness to wait for the Lord. What happened ultimately in their story? Saul's story ends in self-destruction. He falls on his own sword in a battle. And David goes on to become the greatest king in Israel's Old Testament history and begins a lineage that leads all the way to the, our Savior himself, Jesus. If you could see the difference between your willingness to wait for the Lord and your ability to get outside of God's timing, this wouldn't even be a question today. And I'm trying to preach a message to you that tells you, go ahead and see it ahead of time so you can walk by faith and not by sight. So all week... Cover to cover in the Bible, I've been like, man, pick your story. This whole thing is about waiting for the Lord. And I thought about preaching on Saul and David, and then oh, that story just came to my mind. So you got that one too. But I ended up landing in the book of Isaiah. If you brought your Bible, hold it up all over this place. Hold it up. We see those Bibles. Come on. I'm not going to do it because some of you have gone through enough this week with Valentine's Day. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 is close to the middle of your Bible. Isaiah is a prophet. And as I've told you many times in the past, in the Old Testament, prophets and kings had a really interesting relationship. The king's job was to lead the people of God politically and in battle, but the prophet's job was to tell the king what God says. And essentially what you have in Israel is a system where a prophet proclaims the truth about God's word and the king has to decide how much he wants to abide by it. Well, Isaiah was a great prophet, but in an unfortunate time because he was a prophet in a time where a lot of the kings who were with Isaiah did not listen. 
And so Isaiah prophesies some judgment throughout his book of Isaiah, but also he prophesies a lot about the future era where the Messiah would come. There's this moment in Isaiah 30, this is a really popular passage, where Israel is extremely pressured to take things into their own hands, and they end up getting outside of God's timing and doing their own thing instead of trusting in him. Watch what happens. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. If you're there, say I'm there. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. What did I just read? Go back up to verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. These are popular verses. I've seen these verses on like cool like calligraphy and Instagram stories on Pinterest. I've seen this on people's walls. It's like, in quietness and trust is your strength. It feels like a verse you should read at the beach. It's like serene, real, yeah, just trust God, quiet. I've never seen anybody put the next part of the verse on anything. But you would have none of it. So this is not a verse about a quiet, serene scene. This is about God inviting Israel to trust him and Israel doing their own thing and God going, you didn't want the quiet and rest I had for you. No, you went your own way. And specifically in this context, if you read the beginning of Isaiah 30, you discover that what happened at this particular time, gosh, you've got to know the context when you're reading something or it makes little to no sense. What's happening in Israel's history is they are being pressured by a group called the Assyrians. And Assyria is taking out so many different surrounding lands. And so Israel assumes if they attack us, we're going to get taken out. That's not true, though, because they had a promise from God that they were protected against any enemy that was going to come against them. God is saying in quietness and in trust, that's your strength. All you really had to do was just trust me, and I am going to provide a way for that battle not to happen. You know what they decide to do? They decide to take the trust that they should have put in God and go south and put it in another. They send people down to Egypt, and they make a treaty that they shouldn't make with Pharaoh. And they basically say, hey, we'll give you these goods. We'll give you all this money. What we need you to do, though, we need you to be ready because if Assyria attacks us, we'll ride our horses down here and get you. Then you can come up, and then they'll back off of us. They, they looked away from God, and they looked to Pharaoh. It's amazing the reversal that's happened because God is the one who led them out of captivity in Egypt under Pharaoh's reign. And now they're independent on their own, free to live in quietness and trust. And they're going back underneath the leadership of the one to whom they were delivered from. And they're going, you're going you're to help us, right? And Isaiah says, okay, because you trusted in horses above God. Oh, you're going to flee, a thousand will flee at the threat of one. I love this. He says, not only will the circumstances that you're afraid of happen because you stop trusting in God, but you're going to end up with an internal turmoil and anxiousness that goes beyond even what's happening in front of you right now. One of the worst things about getting off of God's timetable is not just what happens to you circumstantially, it's what happens to you internally. You end up anxious 
You end up afraid. You end up always wondering when everything's going to fall apart. Why? Because you should. You're the one writing the story, and you're not good at this. As soon as you're the one in control, you should, ha- you should be very afraid in that moment. You should be paranoid. You should be going, when is this all going to go bad? When is this all going to end up outside of where it needs to be? And so what Isaiah is pointing to is you're going to get the very thing that you're afraid of. And on top of that, you're going to be driven crazy from within when you should have been at rest. And you should have been quiet. And you should have just stayed in trust. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18 comes out of nowhere. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This is one of those moments when you're reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and you're like, wait, what? It happens a lot. A prophet is prophesying judgment, and then all of a sudden, it's like a brand new day began. In the middle of this, you trusted in Egypt, you should have trusted in God. Now the very thing you're afraid of is coming, and so is anxiousness, and so is hurt, and so is loneliness. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This verse reminds me of Joel 2. Remember our Even Now series in Joel where Joel is like, all these things are coming your way because you did not trust in God. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Even now, declares the Lord, if you turn to me and rend your heart, I am going to show you compassion because I'm slow to anger and abounding in compassion and loving kindness. I want to be gracious to you, not to punish you for this. Everybody needs to look up here. Some of you have been listening to me this entire message and you've been backing down in shame because when I talked about how not waiting on God results in consequences, your whole life is that story. And you're wondering if today anything about this sermon is going to give you any hope whatsoever. You need to know God gives this promise to Israel in the middle of knowing that they weren't waiting for him. And he says, I still long to be compassionate to you. I still long to tell a new story. You might have spent your whole life not waiting on God. I came to tell you today it is not too late to get your life back submitted and surrendered to God's timetable. It is not too late to get your purity and submission to God. It is not too late to get your love story back in God's hands and go, God, you've got something new, something brand new. Even now, bless are all who wait for him. Some of you just need to receive this about God today. Even when your entire life is reaping what you have sown rightfully. I like that. That's why it says, for the Lord is a God of justice. God cannot stop your life from being a reflection of the decisions that you have made. But he can meet you in a moment of mercy and change everything about the future. So you can't do anything about the opportunities that you've missed before today. But you can do everything about the opportunities that are still to come in your love story. And that's why I did this this series equally about people who are already married. There's a temptation to believe if we did everything on our own timetable leading up to our marriage, our marriage is doomed. No, it isn't. 
One moment surrendered to Jesus can do more than an entire lifetime lived in submission to sin. Grace can do more in that one moment. You need to know today Jesus changes everything. And in the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of a just God proclaiming, this is what you deserve, but I long to show you compassion. I long to change everything. Now look at this language. Bless are all who wait for him believe for every season of life in this room, if we can discover the difference between waiting on God and waiting for the Lord, we're going to have a brand new perspective to not just wait well, but to wait in joy on the journey, knowing that our hopes will never be disappointed if we're waiting for the Lord. Whatever timetable you have God on, whatever expectations you have for what he could have done or should have done by this time right now, you need to know God is not late and God is never absent. If God is late in your timetable, you're the one who's early. God's never been late or early. He has always been right on time. And that's why the game changer is, okay, waiting on God. What does waiting on God mean? That means I'm in a waiting room, and he's like the doctor who I want to see, but he's got so much going on. If I could just get my name called, I'm done waiting on God, and I can move on with my life. What is waiting for the Lord? Waiting is staying in a season that you would rather not be in, but deciding to meet God in it. Waiting is discovering that in the waiting room that you're in, God's not the doctor on the other side of the wall who doesn't have time for you. God's the heavenly father sitting across from you to comfort you. Waiting for the Lord is done in a way that is for his glory, and it's done in a way that embraces the season that you don't want because you want him more. And so instead of running and cowering away from these things that so many of us are tempted to run away from, we actually put our arms around the waiting because it is in it that we experience the most of Jesus. So we got to reframe this. Single people in the room never want to hear you say, I'm waiting on the one again. I want to hear you say, I'm waiting for the Lord Whatever the Lord, because that changes it. There's joy to that. It's like, I don't have to spend my whole life incomplete as if there's a future season where someone's going to come along and make my life worth living. No, I'm waiting for the Lord, and I'm actually never going to stop waiting for the Lord. Think waiter. Think server. My whole life is a living sacrifice and an offering to him. And if I'm waiting for him, it's not going to change once a future season goes differently. It's the posture of my heart that stays submitted and surrendered. If you're dating or engaged, too much of our language about waiting has turned God into a God who hides blessings away while everybody else gets to have fun. I cannot stand a lot of our church language about sexual intimacy and purity. Some of the things that I heard growing up, anybody remember True Love Waits? I had a guy get in front of uh, our school. I was in eighth grade and I was talking to a girl in the lobby who had something similar happen in her story, but he literally like was trying to inspire us to wait for marriage to have sex, so he felt like the best way to do that was to rip a sheet of paper one at a time and point out how each tear was a different sexual partner, which is just the worst sermon illustration ever because he ended up with like a little sheet left, and he's like, see, this is what happens to you. Who would want this? I want to respond and be like, Jesus would want that. And Jesus can make that whole, by the way. That's what the blood of Jesus does. 
But, but, but there's this thought process in Christianity about specifically sexuality where God is this God with these impossible expectations who just says, wait, wait, wait. And in the process of waiting, if you don't reverse what God's trying to do in the waiting, you can start to see the thing that God wanted to save for your enjoyment as the thing that is now the source of your shame and you can't enjoy even when the time's right. Pay very close attention to me. This is happening to way too many Christian married couples. Christian singles start dating, and they get tempted sexually, and they go too far. And what they start to do is they start to associate shame with the sensation of being attracted to the person who they're falling in love with. And so Christians cross the line, they feel shame, they come to church, and they decide we're never going to do that again. And in the process of making that decision, what they've done is they've grouped the person that they're dating with their shame. And they've grouped their desire for that person with bad things that need to be done away with. And so what happens is over time, depending on how much you struggle with this, you get all the way up to your wedding day. Married people in the room, especially those recently married, you need to amen this. You get married, and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, this thing that you've believed is a bad thing for years, it's all yours, run wild. And then you're like, I, I don't know how to navigate this in my mind. I don't know how to navigate this in my heart because my whole life, I believe this is a negative thing, and now it's a great thing. And then we got all these Christian couples who are faking it around other Christian couples and going, yeah, isn't sex awesome? Isn't marriage awesome? And it's really you and your wife are struggling to figure this out because you're like, I believe my whole life that this was negative, and now it's positive, and now it's an act of worship to God, but, but we're both working through the shame from our past and figuring that out. And it's because the entire time you miss God's heart for this. Here's, here's the answer. You ready? God's heart is to give you a good desire that works on his timetable and to exercise your faith to be obedient toward that end. Your desire to be sexually attracted to the person that you're dating is not something that you need to shut down or that is a bad thing. It's something that God has said, wait for the Lord, wait for my timing. Don't believe for a second that the desire is bad. In fact, if you don't have that desire, they're probably not a candidate. Evaluation over. There is no attraction here. Don't shut down the desire. Live your life in submission to God's timing. This is about faith. So I can have a strong desire for a person I'm dating, but we're not married yet. We wait for the Lord. And what you get is you get an opportunity to together, hand in hand, Holding hands, because you're allowed to do that. We're going to talk about boundaries Tuesday night, by the way. My wife and I are answering a bunch of questions for college students from this stage. And it's going to be fun. Everybody's invited, even if you're not in a group, because it's just going to be so interesting and slightly humorous. But um, you're holding hands, because you're allowed to do that. And, uh, and, and you're going to hold hands walking through a journey called faith. When Courtney and I were dating, I remember one of the things about her that I loved but I couldn't stand at the time was how much she would not let us go too far physically. Drove me crazy at the time. But you know in the long run, you want to know why I love that about her? Because she cultivated a heart of faith. She sowed into our relationship faith so that now after we're married, I know I can trust that that woman doesn't go outside of God's boundaries for stuff. Now I don't worry about her cheating on me. I don't worry about her going anywhere else. Why? Because I saw her obedient to God in a moment that it didn't work to our advantage. But 
That was a demonstration of faith, not a God who doesn't want you to not doesn't want you to have fun and tells you to put away all the fun for later. No, it's a God who invites you in to go, just trust me, do this my way, do this on my timetable. And I'm telling you, if you wait for the Lord, not wait on a person or wait on sexual intimacy or wait on the object, that's not really worth the wait. The only object that's worth the wait is waiting for the Lord. And what will happen to you over time is now you have a relationship with God that's rooted in faith. And you're just ready to graduate into new levels of experiencing his blessing for what you have waited for. And now you have forbearance to face the next test, the next trial that's coming your way. This is a journey called faith. And it's not separated from any other area of your life. This is about active faith, not passively focusing on the one thing that you want that you can't have. Was that helpful for some people in the room who are dating? Was that kind of clarifying? I hope so. If you're married, you're like, okay, what about, what about us in the waiting? I'm going to speak to this a little bit when I get to my points, but let me just say this. One of the things that can set you so free in your marriage is giving a full, all-out surrender to every single expectation you have for your spouse. You're not waiting for him to become a spiritual leader. You're not waiting for her to stop nagging you. You're not waiting for him or her to become any version of themselves that you dream they should be. You're waiting for the Lord. You're waiting for the Lord to do things on his timetable, and you're actually participating in God moving in her heart and your heart over time if you're submitted and surrendered. Here's what it means. You might want to write this down. Waiting for the Lord is the active embrace of God's call to let go. Waiting for the Lord is the active embrace of God's call to let go. So waiting is not passive, it's not sitting out, it's actively putting your arms around the fact that God has called you to let go and put in his hands what only he can handle. So this is your expectations, this is your timing, this is any sort of version of the story that you're holding on more than you're holding on to devotion to Jesus. And it's when I say active embrace, I mean you have to decide to wait for the Lord. And I promise you, if you take him at his word, you will not be disappointed. Here's the best part about it. Let me read the next set of verses. This is so good. Verse 19. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. One of the greatest blessings of waiting for the Lord is that you're all, you will always be confident to know when the waiting's over. So many of you are wondering, how do I know when the wait's over? How do I know if he's the one, if she's the one? How do I know if God's delivered me into a new season? If you wait well, what did you get in the waiting? A relational connection to Jesus. How does Jesus speak to you? With his voice. He's a shepherd. And so it won't always be abundantly clear, but there'll be this voice that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I can't explain every little detail of all that, how that works, but there should be some Christians in the room nodding their head and amening me because they know there are some decisions that you make with this supernatural level of faith and clarity because there's this still small voice from within going, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Watch this. That voice will get drowned out if you do your love life on your own timetable. 
Because there'll be too much noise from everything else. The simplicity of waiting for the Lord is this. When God decides to say, this is the way, walk in it, I can hear it. Now, this is Israel in a season where they're getting prophesied about the future. But I believe what Isaiah says is a principle that runs true from cover to cover in Scripture. That when you have a relational connection, a relational connection to your Heavenly Father, you have a voice that always points you to where you need to be at that exact time in the right moment. And when God says, this is the way, walk in it, you can step confidently and know you are exactly where you're supposed to be, which is really the type of clarity that everybody wants in their love story. You'll never end up in the wrong place. You'll never end up in the wrong relationship. And you'll never end up outside of the will of God if you're submitted to the ways of God. This is the way, walk in it. So let's learn to walk in it. Let's learn to wait with active faith. I got three things I want you to do. When you hear wait for the Lord, I want you to think that's action. I got to do something with that. That's not sitting out. Three things I want you to do straight from Isaiah chapter 30. Somebody say wait for it. Wait for it. Here's how. Waiting is praying over dwelling. Waiting is praying over dwelling. Some of us assume that we have prayed about things that we have really just dwelled on over and over and over again. And it's a game changer when you actually cry out loud to God in the waiting. I'll say that again. Some of us assume that we have prayed about things that really we just thought about it again and again, told our Christian friends that we've been praying about something, that nothing has really ever come out of your mouth, nothing's ever gone on paper, and so the tangible results of what you want to see on the other side of a prayer life that doesn't exist are not there for you. Did you notice this from Isaiah 30? Put those verses back up there for me. Watch this. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. He's going to answer you when he hears, and he's going to respond to your cry for help. This promise could be yours on the other side of actually saying out loud in the waiting what it is that's bothering you, what it is that you want. So don't dwell the entire season of waiting on what you're waiting on. Pray out loud to God and watch him change everything. I'm saying something changes in your heart when you're real with God out loud. God can handle your realness. So you're tired of being single. Out loud to God. Go, God, I, if I could just be honest, I know your timing's perfect and I know all the right things I'm supposed to say in this prayer, but I really would have thought by now I'd be in a different season than this one. I really would have thought by now a relationship would have come up. I just, I really would have thought that after I trusted you again and again with that, that this would have been a certain way. I'm here to tell you today, the fastest way to watch your marriage change forever is to pray out loud. But if these prayers never get out of your mouth, you'll never actually be able to give glory to God for what he did that you cannot take credit for. I've talked to couples all over our church who have seriously healthy marriages multiple decades in. And almost all of them say the same thing. They talk about a frustrating season of their marriage where they were trying to control the other one. And then an abundance of blessing from God that came on the other side of praying instead of complaining. I talked to a wife who said, celebrating her 35-year anniversary today. And she said, everything changed in our marriage when I took down my expectations of who he should be 
And I just let him be who God created him to be, and I went before the Lord on his behalf. Waiting is not dwelling on everything you wish was different. Waiting is praying your way into a new reality. You know what happens when you pray like that? God changes the circumstance sometimes, but you know what happens every time? God changes you. And as you pray, you're going, God, you're doing something brand new on the inside of me. And my relationship with you is actually something that is real. This is what I mean by God not separating your love life from every other area. There are times in our marriage where I will be at the end of myself for what I need to do to be a better husband and dad. Sometimes the answer is simple. Talk to God who has the power to do anything. Prayer changes things. So I'll have mornings where I'll be like, okay, we've had a tough week. We haven't been connecting well. My wife's tired and the kids have been crazy. Maybe one of them was sick and there's a lot going on at the church. Okay, how can I fight for my wife today? And I'll literally pray. I've done this so many times and I hate that I'm saying it out loud because then she's going to know and she's probably not going to tell me about it later, but I've been doing this. I'll pray out loud. God, I pray that today Courtney wakes up with a brand new perspective and a new level of joy that she doesn't even understand. And I pray that later when that does happen, that you and I have a moment where we acknowledge each other and I get to experience the fruit of this prayer. Telling you, a couple hours later, my wife is just in a different place, and she is like, I just feel this crazy lift today. I, just, I don't know why. I just have this joy. I have this purpose. I have this, And I'm like, I bet you do. Come on. That's amazing. God has so many cool moments like that for Christians, but not for Christians who don't pray. I'm sorry. I'm getting boring. Oh, Miles is supposed to be interesting. All he does is get up there and tell us to Talk to God and let God talk to us. That's what this is. That is literally all a relationship with God is. I talk to you. I sing to you. You talk to me. We enjoy one another. I give glory to you. You are satisfied through me. Like, this is how this works. God wants to do this in your life. So waiting. So I say wait for it. It's praying over dwelling. Number two. I just jumped. Number two. Trusting over stopping. Trusting over stopping. Remember, it's active. So listen, listen. When we say I trust God, it's not passive. It's not time out. It's not, listen, I'm tired of trying to, I'm, I'm tired of trying to write this story. I just trust God. I just trust God. And now you think God's going to write a better story because you said I trust God. Trust is active. Trust requires your will being surrendered. Trusting God looks like a commitment to the discipline of reading his word. Trusting God looks like humble submission to his ways. Trusting God looks like moments of relational connection with him. So don't say, I'm trusting God. Really, all you're doing is stopping. All you're doing is just going, oh, well, I'm sitting this one out now. And I'm telling you, continuing to believe he is going to do something that is not right in front of you is about putting weight on him. It's about leaning into him and going, hey, when I don't see you doing anything, I still trust you. I still know something's happening. And what's happening more often than not is God's not changing anything about that because he's changing you. When you read about what love is in the Bible, you'll understand what I mean by love and romance being the ultimate opportunity to become more like Jesus. You read 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. You guys, we're all eliminated by three words in. It's like, I can't do that. 
I'm not any of those things. The message of 1 Corinthians 13 is not work on your patience and your envy problem. The message of 1 Corinthians 13 is you can't do this. You need to be connected to Jesus. And the only way that happens is by trusting. God, I trust you to do in me what I can't do on my own. I can't love her well. I can't make these decisions well. I can't pursue a spouse well. Of course you can't. But Jesus can. So listen, stop trying to sit on the sidelines and pretend like that's trusting God. Wait for the Lord. But the waiting is not absent of effort. It is the effort of embracing what God has called you to let go. God, you can have it. And I bet Israel, when they were pressured by Assyria, and you, you said, hey, why'd you guys go down to Egypt? Like, what, what, why did you do that? God made a promise to you. They would have gone, oh, what, what were we supposed to do? Just sit there and do nothing? The response is no. Trusting God does not mean doing nothing. Trusting God means counting on God to do what he promised. And then whatever he called you to do in submission to that promise, you do with all your might. And if what God told you to do was sit right there, be still, you sit right there and be still. Even when there's an army bearing down on your people. If God said through the prophet, hey, you're fine. I promise I'm going to wipe them out. You know, if you follow this story to the end, it's so awesome. God slaughters like 70,000 people in Assyria in one night while they're sleeping, and they go back home. It's, it's an amazing story. You need to follow through. Like what it's, Hezekiah is involved. It's awesome. I can't go into that. It's another story about waiting. I could have talked about it. Somebody say, wait for it. Waiting is praying over dwelling. Waiting is trusting over stopping. And then lastly, waiting is hoping over sulking. Hoping over sulking. I'm not going to lie to you. Waiting for the Lord is hard. It's annoying. It'll test you. And the main thing waiting will drown out of your soul is joy. You get called to wait for the Lord, the first thing that goes is your joy in God. Like talk, talk to a couple who they were single and waiting for a relationship. God did something, brought them together. They got engaged. They got married. They waited all the time in the world for that. And then they enjoyed God's blessing. And then God brings them into a season of infertility. The last thing that you want to do when you're in a season like that is smile and declare the goodness of God. But you need to understand that waiting for the Lord looks like cultivating a heart of gratitude for God before you see how he's going to come through. Don't get me wrong. I think God loves every song we sing to him. I think God loves our songs of deliverance. What I mean by songs of deliverance, I mean like after God comes through, God supernaturally provides for you and then you sing about his faithfulness. It's what I do every Sunday when we're singing. I look out at this church and I think about where we started five and a half years ago and I'm like, you're so good. At the time, I didn't think it was gonna happen, but you did it. This is so awesome. This is so cool. Thank you. God loves those songs. Don't get me wrong. But I believe the song that God loves even more is the song of joy from a heart that has no reason to be joyful except for the fact that they are counting on God. Like they haven't seen the breakthrough. They haven't seen the provision. She hasn't gotten pregnant. And still, here they are, hands raised, eyes lifted, maybe tears coming down, but the season is not stopping their spirit from delighting in God. 
Don't ever let a season of waiting shut down your spirit from being joyful in God. And I'm telling you, when God sees that level of faith, as you worship him in joy, as you bang your fist into the ground and say, God, I don't want it to be like this, but you're still good. You're still amazing. You haven't changed at all. The God of the universe perks up in heaven and goes, I cannot wait to come through on their behalf. I cannot wait till they get to see how this story ends. I know how this story ends. This story ends with you lifted up, with you being everything and me being awestruck at your hand. So proclaim it. Be joyful. Sing about it even when you don't feel it. ACC, would you stand to your feet all over this place? I want to end this sermon by reading a scripture over you. It's literally everything in one sentence from Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. You can just look up at the screen. I want you to receive this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Some of you need to let this sink into your soul right now. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I believe on the other side of conjuring up that kind of courage in your heart, and it might not even feel like it exists, I believe the faithfulness of God will become a marker of your love story. But you cannot have it if you're not willing to exercise faith. You might not be able to see his hand, but let's declare that we can trust his heart. Would you bow your heads all over this place? God, I pray for a group of people who just like me are so tempted to take things into our own hands. I pray that this is a moment where we turn them all over. I pray that this is a moment where we say, God, not only are you in the waiting, you are the waiting. Like you are everything that we want in this season. You're everything that our marriage needs. You're everything that our dating needs. You're everything that our singleness needs. God, you are the point. So God, I pray for faith to rise up where faithlessness has set in. I pray for joy to rise up where hopelessness has been creeping in. And God, would you allow us to sing in Auburn, Alabama today about promises that we believe you're going to keep, that we haven't seen how you're going to keep them, but we know you haven't changed, God. So come and do it again. We sing to you in this space in Jesus' name.